Please stand for the reading of God's word. The scripture reading today is from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is for your glory. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So today we have a guest speaker with us. Um, his name is Daniel Tyler. And uh, we're so excited to have Daniel with us today. Daniel uh, is, serves as a teaching pastor at City Church in Conway. He's been married to his bride for nine years. And together they have three children. And while serving as a pastor for the past 12 years, God birthed a vision in Daniel to create an organization specifically for young people caught in the emotional and relational chaos, dangerous choices, and emptiness that once marked Daniel's life. The vision came together in the form of Deliver Hope. Deliver Hope is one of the leading community organizations working towards restorative justice for at-risk youth in central Arkansas. Since Deliver Hope has partnered with the Faulkner County Juvenile Court, there's been a 48% reduction in the number of young people going to the Faulkner County Juvenile Detention Center. Daniel lives dedicated to inspiring people to dream beyond their circumstances, excel despite their disadvantages, and reach their fullest God-given potential. So we're excited to have Daniel with us today, and uh, he's a compelling guy, so come on up, Daniel, and let's welcome him to fellowship. Well, thank you. I am uh, honored to be here today and um, to be able to share with you uh, God's Word and a little bit of my uh, story. Um, so my wife and I, and this is a picture of my family. It's an old picture, but this is the newest one that I've had. Uh, and this is my uh, oldest son, Aiden. He's eight, and then my daughter, Braylon, is six, and then our son, Cameron, uh, will be three uh, here in just a couple of, uh, here in the next couple of weeks. Um, now, when I had a, my daughter, uh, something happened uh, to me that was a little bit weird. Um, uh, I started getting really protective, you know, um, and so my daughter, she's uh, six, so I've been working on like what happens when the guys show up. Um, so I practiced a couple of them. I wanted to practice one of them with you. I felt like this was healthy. Um, so the first one, I'm just going to toss him a shotgun shell. Just toss it to him and tell him that comes a lot faster after 9 p.m. Right? That work? Um, I figured it'd be pretty scary. Uh, so 
That's, uh, anyways, that's, that's my family, and uh, we are in Arkansas, or in Conway, Arkansas, and ha- enjoy uh, life there. We, it's kind of an interesting story. I grew up in Conway as a young person, uh, went, moved on, went to college, and then moved to, uh, to central Wisconsin, and I spent uh, a season of life in central Wisconsin. Um, and, uh, and then about five years ago, my wife and I had this, these, this uh, passion to figure out what it would look like to serve at-risk teenagers or teenagers who are caught in in really broken uh, situations and that came together like uh, Brent said in the form of, of Deliver Hope and Deliver Hope's purpose and heart behind Deliver Hope is that we would deliver the hope of Jesus Christ to at-risk and underserved young people no matter what circumstance they find themselves in and so it started with the juvenile detention center there in Conway uh, and the, like I said uh, I grew up in Conway uh, but I grew up a lot different than a lot of church folk um, my parents were meth addicts and I uh, grew up in a very abusive home there was a it was a, an immense amount of pain and um, hurt and abuse. And because of the home life that I grew up in, the choices that I made outside of that uh, put me in at-risk situations or high-risk situations. So I was in and out of the same jail that I have the privilege of sharing the gospel with the kids that are in there. Um, in my senior year of high school, Jesus changed my life um, and uh, realized that there was purpose and life for me outside of uh, that kind of lifestyle. And so I started pursuing what it would look like to follow and and serve Jesus, and that's how we serve the young people that we work with uh, now. We uh, have several different programs. I'm not here to just share about our ministry. Um, I want to share some things that God's shown me over the years, but I, um, but I do I love, what, I love seeing the, what's, what God has done. So we uh, run three chapel services for the kids who are incarcerated. We uh, do a male chapel service, female chapel service, and males who are charged as adults. Uh, and so that would be a, a, a teenager who's committed a crime that the court would deem uh, adult-worthy. So they would, you know, it could be rape, murder, uh, aggravated robbery, arm, you know, those type of, of crimes. And we love it because we get to share the gospel with kids in really scary, broken situations. But you know what I've realized over the years is that so many of the young people that we work with are suffering deeply. Uh, there's just so much pain. And there are times where I hear stories of the kids that we serve, and you think, oh, well, yeah, I get it make sense it's, there's it's obvious there, there's an obvious reason of why you would make that that type of choice and it was the same thing for me not excusing the bad behavior but I remember what it felt like to be sitting to sit in jail and think I am I'm never going to do this again like I'm going to get out of here and I'm going to go be something different but you know what realized what I realized was is when I get out of jail you know where I have to go home the same place that put me there in the first place And the only thing that I had available to me was what I had available to me until I met Jesus. And there was this really pretty girl who invited me to church. And, you know, yeah, I went because she was pretty. And Jesus rocked my world. It changed my life. I remember sitting uh, about three rows back and the pastor was preaching. Uh, He was super, it was one of those churches, he was really excited about what he was talking about. If I'm being, I mean, it was, he was excited. Um, but I don't even remember what he talked about, honestly, most of the, most of the service. Uh, so it was really encouraging for those of us who, who speak, because uh, I don't remember anything he said besides uh, one line. Uh, and he stopped in the middle of his sermon, and he was, like, like I said, about three rows back, and he looked at me dead in the face, and he said, I just want you to know that God is desperately in love with you. And then he went on about his message. And I was like, what? Uh, you have no idea the amount of pain that I've experienced in my life. And you're gonna tell me that God loves me? You have no idea. And um, they ended up playing this uh, worship song, uh, Amazing Love, How Can It Be That You, My King, Would Die For Me? That song was the jam back then. Everybody played it every Sunday, you know, in that season. Um, and, and so they sang this song, and I remember reading the lyrics of this song and thinking, wait a second, if this is true, 
then this could change everything for me. Like if that, if Jesus really did die for me and take my sins on himself, then this could change everything for me. That would mean that I, that I don't have to be like my family. That would mean that, I, that, I, that there's purpose and, and value to my life. And so I went to school the next day and I wanted to tell everybody about it. I mean, I was just blown away by God, what God had done in my life. And so I walked up to my buddy and we, were, we used to party together all the time. And I walk right up to him and I'm like, hey man, last night I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I'm never going to be the same again. And he said, heck yeah, man, I'm a Christian too. And I was like, wait, what? Now, at the time, I didn't even know about hypocrisy. Like, I wasn't even, that wasn't, my mind wasn't even there. It was, hey, how long have we known? We've known each other for 10 years, man. And I've been dying inside. Like, you've known about all the brokenness that's existed in my family. You've known that I've been suicidal in my thinking. You've known that I've been in looking for purpose and value somewhere. And you've known that Jesus died for me and, had, and, and wanted to give me life. And you never told me. And so I was blown away by it. And people thought I was nuts. I walked around school that day and I was like, hey, are you, are you a Christian? And people were like, yeah. Are you a Christian? Yeah. Are you a Christian? Yeah. What about you? Are you a Christian? And everybody said they were. I was like, well, what about me? Like how, how come no one wanted to let me know? I've been dying inside, looking for somebody to, to give me purpose you know and what and so so that's why we do what we do that's why we we serve the young people that we serve it's like I'm it's not going to be because I didn't fight for it you know it was like one of those one of those moments you know and so uh it's it's a beautiful thing in jail when you run into kids who are man just really broken my favorite story is about this young man who uh was in uh incarcerated in Conway he he came over from Little Rock to Conway and robbed three people at gunpoint all right so he's he robbed three people at gunpoint he's got long dreads down to his uh shoulders tattoos up his neck, tattoos all around him, 16 years old, right? I'm not saying there's anything wrong with tattoos. I got them too, but we're not here for that theological conversation. But my point is, is that he's got tattoos all up his neck, 16 years old. And I'm thinking, man, this guy is tough. So I sit down with him like, hey, wh why are you in here? Uh, well, I got three counts of armed robbery. You're like, oh. So I find out a bunch more about this guy. He's got several other really intense things. He's in a, a large gang in Little Rock and uh, and then, to make matters worse, every time he came into chapel service in the jail, he was super rude and disrespectful to me. And he'd get all the other kids riled up and being disrespectful to me, too. And so I didn't know what to do. And I was honestly scared of him. <laughs> you know, he was one of those guys who would pop me and it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't bother him. So I was scared to, like, tell him, you know, to, hey, don't disrespect me. But one day I prepped myself. I thought, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this right. So I got, you know, I went to the bathroom and looked at myself in the mirror and like talked myself up. Don't act like you don't do that. You do the same thing. Um, but I'm like, look here, you know, you're going to tell him what's up. So I get in the jail and I'm like ready. I'm going to tell him, hey, don't you disrespect me. So I walk in there to tell him that and he didn't say a word. It's weird. Wasn't disrespectful. He just kind of said, hey, how you doing? He came and sat down and was kind of taken back by it. So I shared my story and told him about Romans 8, 28, that there's nothing that you can do that could separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And all of a sudden, he looks up at me, he moves his dreads out of his way, he's got tears flowing down his face. He said, man, I need Jesus. And I was talking to him, and you hear his story, and there's this suffering that's involved. You know, there's pain that's involved. And in this room, in a room this size with this many people, uh, there is likely people in this room that's lives are full of pain and suffering. 
You know, like I hope you're encouraged, but I came all the way to Batesville to tell you that, you're, that this, this, everybody's suffering. You're going to suffer at some point, right? Like, so, so you're, at some point, you're going to go through pain. At some point, you're going to go through trials and through financial hardship and marriage issues and cancer and death, all these things, right? Everybody knows this. All cultures and races and religions, they all have some paradigm to view suffering with. All of us go through this. And so as Christians, we're not exempt. Right? God's sons and daughters, adopted, loved, chosen, clean, and redeemed, will go through suffering. We face pain and trials, and all these things happen to us. And, and, but oftentimes, I don't know about you, but it just kind of knocks us off balance, doesn't it? Like when we're walking with Jesus and you just feel like, hey man, I'm doing, I'm doing all the things that I'm supposed to be doing to be the Christ follower that I'm supposed to be, and yet suffering still comes into our world, and we're like, man, where this just kind of knocks us off. And, you know, it, it happened for me. So, my, you know, my, I grew up in this home that was broken and jacked up and, and pain-filled. And, and Jesus changed me and, and gave me opportunities that I never would have dreamed of having. And I was so excited. I was in this place where I was growing and God was doing uh, great things. I was living in Wisconsin. I had the opportunity of seeing my mom come to, to the saving knowledge of Jesus and, and to go back to school and get her master's degree and then go back to school and work on her doctorate, be free from drugs. And I, I like watched all this stuff take place. It was this beautiful thing. Uh, and, and, and so my mom was this, this, this beautiful woman. So she's beautiful, right? And, um, and I you know, it was, it was this crazy, crazy season for me. I was uh, pastoring in this local church, and, and my mom and I used to go, and we would share a foot-long sub sandwich at um, Subway, right? So we would go to foot, we'd go get Subway, get a foot-long, split it in half. It was Italian BMT. I could tell you everything on it, all right? She liked olives. I do not, right? So we split that sandwich, and we would sit and talk. And I remember, like, talking to my mom uh, in March of 2009, uh, on a Monday, and we were sitting and just talking about life and um, how Jesus could redeem us and Jesus could, could make her whole. And she, she had some struggles that she was going through. And I remember she was dating this guy that um, I just, uh, I wasn't a big fan of why she was in this relationship. And I remember saying to my mom, like, Mom, hey, you, you don't have to be like this. Like, Jesus can be the person to, to provide uh, for you in, in, this, in this loneliness. You don't have to lean into that kind of stuff. She slammed her hand on the table and she said, Daniel, I'm not going to be alone. And I remember, you know, having this conversation with her. And then I walked her back to her office. And I remember uh, words that I hold on to to this day remind myself about it regularly, but I walked her back to her office and I put my arm around my mom and she looked at me and she said, Daniel, that's the first time that a real man's ever put his arm around me. And I thought, man, I'm going to hold those words. When you hear that from your mom. So I walked her back to her office and, and that was the last time that I got to see my mom. And I remember my, I remember um, getting this phone call. My wife and I were headed out of town and, and I got this phone call that, my mom was in the hospital because her boyfriend had beat her up. And they got into a fight, and he hit her, and she was in the hospital. And I went to uh, see her and um, basically um, the way that he, she, he hit her, she had something wrong with her brain, and it you know, caused a brain bleed, and she, she died. Um, and I remember, like, after this happening, being so frustrated because I was like, hey, God, you're sovereign over everything in the world. 
and I'm supposed to be your chosen adopted son. Why did you let this happen? And where are you? You ever been there? Where you go through pain and suffering and you're like, God, where are you? Like, this, it just knocks us off balance, man. And it happens in everyday suffering. I mean, all of us go through trials and pain and frustration and it's just so painful sometimes even John the Baptist think about this John the Baptist when he came on the scene man he was like Batman right just kind of shows up and he's like yelling stuff wearing strange clothes he's got this weird diet and everything he said though dripped with conviction and passion and assurance that Jesus was the Christ right I mean everything he said he said things like I'm not the Christ that's the Christ right I can't even tie his sandals he he must increase I must decrease he he said that kind of stuff all the time and so everything that John does says to us that this man knew who Jesus was he had all this assurance and lived with passion in this and yet he goes to jail and when he was in jail he sends word to Jesus to ask him hey are you the Christ or not should I be looking for somebody else but he had just got done saying, hey, I'm going I'm to decrease, you're going to increase, right? He had all this stuff, and then he goes to jail. Suffering comes into his life, and he's like, hey, are you the Christ or not? And doesn't, isn't that how it works for us so often, right? I mean, it's like, it's like John was saying, hey, I didn't sign up for this. I know this whole increase, decrease thing. I didn't know it meant jail for me, right? Uh, and, and John the Baptist, the strongest saint who had all this assurance and paved the way for Jesus, even began to lose heart in the face of suffering. And that's what suffering tends to do to us as Christ followers. All of us go through suffering. No one is exempt from suffering. And so what do we do? Like, how do we really walk this thing out with Jesus in the middle of intense pain and intense? And this is the, the story that we tell kids in jail. You know, they're like, I, they'll say stuff to me like, I hear, I'm, I'll never forget a kid saying to me, I hear everything that you're saying to me, and all of that makes sense. But when I, got out, when I get out of here, I got to go home, and I can't live that out at my home. So how do we do this? And I think Ephesians 3 shows us some things that are beautiful. Ephesians 3 says this in Ephesians 3, chapter 1, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on the, on the behalf of you Gentiles. So the gospel has landed Paul in prison crazy because if you if you I don't know if you ever studied Ephesians Ephesians is one of my favorite books but if you look at Ephesians chapter 1 verse 2 or chapter 1 and 2 I mean it, it all all Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 talks about is how God has called us and chosen us and adopted us and blessed us and and broken down all these dividing walls between us and raised us up with Christ how he's pouring grace on us and given us every spiritual blessing in Christ right I mean that's all through Ephesians 1 and 2 and then it's like oh yeah by the way I'm in jail So yes, we're chosen. Yes, we're adopted. Yes, we're, uh, uh, bl- we're blessed in Christ. Uh, and yet we still suffer. It doesn't seem to make sense. But in truth, the gospel advances through suffering. Suffering, your suffering, my suffering, suffering in general cannot undo the gospel. In fact, I am convinced that suffering magnifies the gospel in this life. It magnifies the gospel. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 13. This is what Paul says after he tells him all the things. He says, so I ask you not to lose heart for what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. 
Don't get discouraged and let your heart sink over Paul's suffering, he's saying. He, he was in prison suffering for proclaiming the gospel. He was in prison because of and for Jesus' sake. But he says, hey, don't let your hearts be troubled and discouraged. How do you do that? Like, how do you, how do you live in a life full of pain and frustration and not let your heart get discouraged? How do you watch your friends endure endless seasons of pain and hurt, whether it's watching someone's body be eaten away by cancer or having financial hardships or death of a loved one? Like, how do you endure long, full pain, long painful seasons when your suffering won't seem to go away? When the physical pain or the financial pain or the whatever it is, it's not going to, how do you not lose heart in the midst of that? And here's the crazy thing. In a room this size, the reality is, some of you have probably already lost heart. And this season that you're in just won't seem to end. And you're like maybe hanging on to the gospel with a, by a thread right now. The message for you this morning is do not lose heart. Don't lose heart. And I want to show you three reasons from our text why, you shouldn't, why we shouldn't lose heart. Uh, and then I'll get you to the restaurant of your choice. But... The first one, that was supposed to be funny, trying to lighten it up a little bit, you know, like, ah, okay. Um, the first one is that we're in God's plan. This is why we shouldn't lose heart. We're in God's plan. Look at it in, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 2. Right? Like, you're in. Do you know that? If you're in Christ, you are in God's plan. That is a great news for us. That means that if you're in Christ, your suffering is not in vain. Now, for those of you who are not in Christ, there's some questions that we need to ask. But what I'm telling you is if you are in Christ, your suffering is not in vain. Every tribe, tongue, and nation who's believed in Christ is now in with God's plan. Therefore, we don't lose heart. Paul called his ministry the stewardship of God's grace. And so God gives, gives Paul a ministry to proclaim the grace of God. And he says in verse 2, Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Right? So God gives this to Paul for those who would hear this message. It says, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. So God revealed this to Paul. He didn't make this stuff up. And he says in verse 4, When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And so Paul is saying that God gave me this ministry, and he revealed, to me, uh, revealed it to me so that I could preach on this mystery. So that the question is then, what's the mystery? glad you asked. It's in verse 6. It says this, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospels. So listen, the Gentiles were, were non-ethnic Jews, right? The language here, members and fellow heirs, it's Old Testament language, Israel language, right? And so God gave, God saved one nation in the Old Testament. He chose Israel to proclaim his glory to all the other nations. They were his adopted and chosen nation. But now Paul is saying that God is saving all nations, that God is no longer just wants one tribe, tongue, and nation. He wants all tribes, tongues, and nations. And this is the mystery of the gospel. Paul's saying not to lose heart because you've now been brought into God's plan. Anybody in here Israelite? I didn't think so. I mean, you're in God's plan. Right? And listen, anyone can get in on this. Anyone can. Like if you're here and you're kind of on the fence and uh, with Jesus kind of kicking the tires of Christianity, anyone can get in on this. Like it, the most skeptical, the ones with the most doubts, anyone can, can over, you know, Jesus can overcome those things. And let me prove it to you. Verse 7, it says, uh, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace 
which was given me by the working of his power. If you read the book of Acts, Paul's one of the most skeptic uh, critic of Christianity. Right? He absolutely despised the church and Christianity. He even went so far as to approve of the murder of a Christian named Stephen. He, he tried to lock Christians up in jail. And so if you have doubts about Jesus, you can't likely touch Paul's doubts. He absolutely was opposed to the whole gospel and church idea. And then when he saw Jesus and all of those doubts began to dissolve, he saw the glory of the risen Christ. And he now, Paul, is laboring to make this message known. Anyone can get in on this. We're in God's plan, which means that there's no amount of suffering and no amount of sorrow and no amount of grief or loss or failure that can undo the plans for you in Christ Jesus. And so Paul's saying, take heart. There is nothing that can undo this. And here's why in verse 8. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Listen, you can't Google the riches of Christ. You, will, you can never exhaust the riches of Jesus. Verse 9, and to bring to light for everyone what the plan what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? The mystery is that God is bringing us into his plan, but it's happening through a person. Do you realize that no other religion can claim this? Right? Other religions offer you like teachings or a path or some, some teacher comes along and shows you the way to walk and gives you the truth to, to you're supposed to live out and kind of tells you to go find it. But Jesus comes along and he says, no, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. And yet we live in this culture nowadays where people don't want to talk about Jesus. And we can talk about spirituality, we can talk about all these things, but we don't want to talk about Jesus. I'll tell you a funny preacher joke, just kind of lighten it up again. Um, so this is a really, I, I love it, it's like old school preacher joke. You ready for it? Okay, so the fifth grade little girl, right, she's in, she's in her class and the teacher comes and the little fifth grade girl raises her hand and says, hey, uh, teacher, when are we going to start talking about Jesus? She's sure, we can't talk about Jesus here, we're in school, you know, we're, we don't talk about Jesus. She's like, but it's, but you know, it was around Easter time. She's like, but it's Easter and Jesus rose from the dead. And the teacher said, oh, sweetheart, the, Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. You know, the Roman soldiers, they stole his body. And she was like, ah, that, and they argued back and forth for a little bit. And finally, the little girl said, well, when I die and go to heaven, I'm going to ask the Roman soldiers and they're going to tell me they didn't do it. And the teacher said, well, what if the Roman soldiers aren't in heaven? She said, well, then when you die, you ask them. But anyways, <laughs> right? that was good, right? That was funny. Okay. Anyways, um, right, but no one wants to talk about Jesus. Right? The gospel offers you a living person, not just some philosophical idea out there, but a real human being, God in flesh, who has redeemed us. Right? This is why you shouldn't lose heart, because we have him. Right? You have the unsearchable riches in Christ who is enough for you in all of your pain, in all of your suffering. He is inexhaustible when it comes to his power. He's inexhaustible when it comes to his grace. He's inexhaustible when it comes to his riches. He is worth suffering for and better than any comfort this world has to offer. Any riches, any amount of popularity, Jesus is better and more powerful and worth more and speaks a better story and gives a better word than any of those things give us. So don't lose heart because God has brought you into his plan he's with you he knows you and you're part of his plan through the person and the work of Jesus so we're part of God's plan that's why we shouldn't lose heart the second thing is we're now God's people we're God's people in this check this out so you don't know most of you don't know me but we're in the same family isn't that cool like we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And I know we throw that language around a lot, especially in the Bible Belt, but we are family. 
for those of you in Christ, we, we're, we're family. God has brought us through, his per, through this person, making us into a new community. The gospel has bonded and united us together like nothing else this, worth, this earth has to offer. And, and now we get to suffer together. We suffer together as the church. Right? Paul says in verse 10, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, he says, So that the church, the church is the gathered people of God who come together and are now the body of Christ, the bride of Christ here on, on earth. Right? And he's chosen us, he says in verse 10, that the manifold wisdom, I love this verse, that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. And so Paul is saying that God's justified and redeemed people are the ones who are supposed to be displaying the glories and the wisdom to all creation. The church. Not, not little C, big C, right? And this is a glorious, this is like an incredible thought if you think about it. Like God is using us to make known his glory. And so when it comes to suffering, we don't suffer alone. Right? You have the body of Christ around you to walk with you, to weep with you, to suffer with you. We're, we're there to meet each other's needs and to serve each other. And it says in verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen, the church was not a plan B. Right? It, was, it, it wasn't some afterthought. You know, it, it has been in his plan from eternity. Right? He has always had the church in mind. And that's why you can't stop the church. Right? Do you realize this? History for 2,000 plus years has, has been proven that you cannot stop the spread of the gospel in this life. It doesn't matter the country or the government, hardship or persecution, whether martyrdom, suffering, sickness, death or plague or famine. You cannot stop the spread of the gospel. It was his plan from eternity past. You can't stop it because it was God's plan. And that's what Paul's saying here, which means that together we can endure anything. It doesn't matter what the suffering is, it, whether it's everyday suffering or gospel suffering. It doesn't matter. We're supposed to be doing this stuff together. So when I, I graduated high school and went to college, and I had this 1996 two-door Tahoe. Um, they were awesome. That was last year that they made the two-door Tahoe. It was in 96. But I had this super sweet Tahoe, right? Couldn't afford it. I was making payments on it. But anyways, that's a whole other story. Um, and, and so I had, this, I had this, uh, this beautiful Tahoe that I loved, you know, and I was driving uh, down the road on the interstate in Oklahoma, and all of a sudden I had a blowout and I had to pull over, you know. I didn't have a spare tire, so I had to, like, get a bummer ride into Oklahoma City and get somebody to, uh, you know, get me a, get a tire, you know. So I had a little bit of money. I was buying this tire, and then I was going to go back and put the tire on and drive it back to school. And about an hour and a half, maybe two hours went by, and I drove back to the um, um, to my car and somebody or multiple people have stripped the whole thing um, I'm talking stole my headlights my taillights my radio broke the windows set it on blocks I mean I'm talking they stole everything off of it so I called the insurance well, I let my insurance lapse I was a young kid you know didn't have insurance and uh, you know you gotta be kidding me I took the last $150 I had and had the car towed to Oklahoma City um, where I was going to college, and I just thought, I have no clue what I'm going to do. I mean, how am I supposed to? I can't afford this, you know. So I was going to get a job and try to, you know, buy little pieces at a time until I could, uh, you know, put it back together. And I had this call from, uh, from the school, and they said, hey, you know, I heard about your car. I'm so sorry. I've got, um, I've got an extra garage. You can kind of stick it in until you figure out what you're going to do. And I was just like, thank you so much. That's so sweet. You know, because all the windows are broken, which means that if it rains, all the interior is ruined too. And so I'm like, man, I mean, the person who stole, who did, the people who did this, like, they wanted to just make my life, they broke every window. I mean, why? Anyways, um, so, like, 
it was a mess. And I had no clue what I was going to do. And a couple of weeks later, I was in class, and I got this phone call. And this lady said, hey, we found out some information on your Tahoe. Uh, we want you to come to this sh shop and, uh, and see, what, see if this is the right thing. And so I was like, oh, sure, you know, I'd love to find out. So I go to this uh, shop, and they open the garage door, and there my Tahoe is fully fixed. And I was like, what? How, how did you... Like, like who, who did this? And the woman wouldn't tell me anything. All I remember her saying to me is, the body of Christ just does this. And I was blown away. This is what the body of Christ does, right? The, the, the greatest part, I, I was blown away because I, I was new to the whole Christianity thing. I was, trying to, I was going into ministry, but I was new to like, I never knew that the body of Christ did that. And she said, this is normal for us. See, we suffer together, right? We weep together like no other place on earth. The gospel cuts through our financial statuses and our backgrounds, right? It cuts through our race and our class and everything, and it unites us together. And so my charge to you today is don't abandon the church. Right? I know it's messy. Listen, I've been in this thing for a little while, and I understand the church is filled with messy, broken people. The gospel will get you messy, right? If it's by grace, that means that you're going to have some broken, busted up people coming through these doors. It's going to happen. Christ's bride, the church, it's imperfect. Jesus married crazy, right? He married all of us. Right? I mean, right? He poured out his life for us. Let me tell you something crazy. It, it won't always be imperfect. He will perfect his bride. And we will stand before him one day spotless, purified, and holy, and completely redeemed. And every single time... Tongue and nation will gather together and sing one song. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. We're God's people. That's why we shouldn't lose heart. But the last one is we have access to God's presence. It's my favorite thought. You have access... You have access to the very throne room of the creator of the universe. You know the God in Psalms that talks about that he breathed and stars came into existence? That's the one that we're talking about. He just breathed stars into existence and you have access to him. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 12, it says, In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. This is why you don't lose heart. You have God now. Right? The greatest gift God can give you is God. The greatest prize is himself. And so when it comes to suffering, you have two options. You can either suffer towards God or away from him. Either you can bring everything that's in you that's hurting to him and suffer towards him, or you could stiff arm God and lean into your own pain and power through it yourself. Those are your two options. And so Paul's saying, listen, you have God. You have access to the very throne room and the creator of the universe. And God has qualified you so that when it comes to suffering, you have access to his presence. That God has united us together in a way that nothing else could top. That he has access to us. That he's jealous for us. He is for us. And some of you think that God's always like working against us, you know, playing games with us when it comes to suffering. But he's not. He's for you. Right? You can come to him with anything. You can access him with boldness and confidence and run to your heavenly father for those of us who are in Christ. C.S. Lewis said, the man who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. That's a great quote. 
For the man who has God and everything else has no more than the man who has God only. Right? With God, we have everything. There is no lack in him. We have all we need. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 13. So I ask you not to lose heart. Not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. You see, suffering cannot undo the gospel. Suffering magnifies the gospel in this life. It puts on display all the glorious truth that, God is un, that Paul is unpacking here. And it shows us how near and real God is. It reminds us that we're his, that we're his. suffering advances the gospel. Let me tell you something crazy. People were watching my response when my mom died. They were watching my response. So let me tell you about it. Um, my mom's, uh, the guy who killed my mom got out on bail. His parents bailed him, his parents bailed him out of jail. It was tough for me, you know, frustrating. So I was driving down the road and was mad and crying and praying and asking God to show up on my behalf. And as I'm driving down this old highway, I see the guy who killed my mom riding a bicycle. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm over here suffering and he's out on a joy ride. And so I turned my car around. And I got it to go as fast as I could get it to go before I got to him. And I wanted to hit him so bad because he took my mom from me. And I had this moment. Now, I don't know about you. I, if God speaks to you, like, hold on to that one, right? Uh, like, where you hear the voice of the Lord. Like, sometimes I have these moments where I feel like he's saying something to my soul, and I just hold on to those, you know, because that's what I want. And I had this moment where I, held, where I just heard the Lord say to me, I died on the cross for you and your sins. And I did for his too, but he doesn't know it yet. I didn't know what to do. So I went back to the church where I was pastor, and I was, remember walking around the lobby. So I called him up, and I asked him to come meet up with me. He showed up at the church, and i never forget him running, riding his bicycle up on the church parking lot. And I walked outside and said the only words that I could get out of my mouth was, I have to forgive you or this is going to kill me. And he said, why in the world would you forgive me? And there was a boldness that came over me in that moment that, I, that was one of the like, still to this day, I don't know that I've ever experienced anything like it. And I shared the gospel with him. I told him Romans eight twenty eight that there's nothing that you could do, not even kill my mom that will separate you from the love of Jesus. There's nothing. I said, you should start coming to church with me, which was crazy because he came, right? And church people, look, church people don't know how to deal with that. All right, that's real, that's real talk. People, uh, I mean, church people do not know how to deal with that. So, like, I would sit, I mean, he, he started coming. So, like, I sat here, or uh, he sat here, I sat here, my wife sat here, nobody sat around us. I mean, like, it was like, it was it was, it was intense, right? I mean, it was this weird, really weird thing. Everybody kind of gave weird looks, and he came with us regularly. And I remember listening to the pastor's sermon thinking, oh, man, I hope he hears what the pastor's saying. And the next minute, I'm like, I'm going to stab him in the throat with my pen. You know, because, uh, yeah, I just have a, look, forgiveness doesn't equal uh, friendship, right? I mean, it's, there's, a, uh, there's, there's two different things there. Listen, friendship is optional. Forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not optional. Uh, it, it's, it's, God orders that. You know, he forgave us, so we forgive. And so I went through this time with this guy, and, was, um, and he was showing up at, at our gatherings, and 
showing up and listening to the gospel. And I remember him saying to me, sitting down, we, we sat down together one day, and uh, he said, Daniel, I want, I want this stuff that you're talking about. I want Jesus to change my life like he has yours. And I'll never forget holding the hands that killed my mom. And he'll spend eternity in heaven with her. See, suffering doesn't undo the gospel. It magnifies it. And I've shared that story thousands of times. And there have been thousands of people who have committed their lives to walking with Jesus because of my mom's death. My mom's story has been redeemed. That suffering, that pain was in a plan that was greater than I ever would have imagined. And you know what? I don't want my mom here. My mom doesn't suffer anymore. She no longer struggles with addiction. She doesn't know what it feels like to be lonely anymore. You know, if I could give her a hug, that's a different story. She had this perfume. If I could just mix that perfume with a little bit of cigarette smoke, ooh, that'd be great, you know? it smell like my mom, you know? But we endure and we don't lose heart. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. We endure and we don't lose heart. And so like I've said several times, with the reality, the reality is in a room like this, some of you are suffering deeply. And I don't know what your pain is. And I hope, I tr I'm trusting the Lord that I came to Batesville today to tell you that the gospel is enough for you. The gospel is enough for your suffering. Don't lose heart. And others of you, I'll probably say that uh, you're not suffering, but you ought to be. Because God wants to push us as followers of Christ into some very risky situations. I don't know if you know this or not, but Christianity was never a comfort sport. But don't lose heart. Because the gospel's big enough to handle your suffering. The gospel's worth sacrificing and giving up your life for. So may we suffer well, wherever we are, and not lose heart. Jesus, we are grateful for your grace, um, that we can suffer knowing that we're in your plan and purpose, Jesus, that um, I don't know even what to say, but I ask God that if there's pain and and brokenness in, in the lives of people in this room, God, that you would create wholeness. You would do something deep, a deep work within our hearts, and I pray that what we've said and what we've sang to you today would bring, would put a smile on your face that's 10 miles wide, that you would be glorified by it. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.